Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. You just, you got to be less excited just about something. Getting up, bases loaded, and you just take three cuts. <laughs> yeah. Just no matter what they're throwing, you're swinging away. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, Did that, so that's a baseball reference, Andre. <laughs> it's all Joe Musgrove for me. <laughs> Welcome to the Voice San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice San Diego, and I'm joined as always by managing editor Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Not much, man. How are you? I'm well, thanks. And fellow managing editor Andrea Lopez Villafania. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. Coming up on the show this week, the new point in time count numbers are in, and they show a record surge in homelessness. We are going to talk through the new data. And we have a story about the old data, that is, how it compares to what we see on the streets. Oddly, until this new batch of data came in, it wasn't clear homelessness had actually increased. It did become far more visible, though, and tragic. All those stories about the region's crisis come as the big vote approaches in the San Diego City Council next week that would ban street camping throughout the city. And finally... It's been a big week in water politics. Two North County communities want to leave the San Diego County Water Authority. We'll tell you why that matters, why it's a controversy, and why it's got the water world boiling. That's all coming up. Stay with us. But first, let's uh, give a send-off here to our co-host, Andrew Keats. So a few years ago... He did some work about the population and uh, some of the Sandag sort of projections about population. And it was, it was pretty interesting stuff, but he was like kind of taking into question whether those population projections were accurate, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, not too long after that, he, he applied that same formula to their projections that the San Diego Association of Governments had been making about how much money it was going to be taking in from a tax that it charged everybody, half-cent sales tax on everybody. And he ran all of this math and um, what? Yeah, I just, I like that he he did math things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, right. I don't know specifically no, what he numbers, did. Dude, I, honestly, signs. at this point, I barely remember. Yeah. <laughs> You're forgiven. He, he did a lot of, he worked through a lot of this and he was confronted with this moment where he's, he basically had to conclude that um, they were lying to everybody or didn't know they were lying, but they were misleading people mm-hmm. egregiously about how much money they were going to bring in, mm-hmm. uh, about what projects they could do because of that, and what new projects they could do if they passed a new sales tax that was on the ballot at that same time. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of discussions about whether to go forward with what he found or how to do it, or how to present it, and edit it, and everything, and, and really vet it, because he was taking on people, a, you know, a whole team of people who get paid a lot of money to do this, mm-hmm. and basically in the entire political establishment that ran Sandag, mm-hmm. and and in particular the people in charge of Sandag who had run a very, you know, locks lockstep ship like for a long time, like very well organized. And we did it. We did the story. And you know how like like if you're a whale hunter or whatever, you, you catch a whale, you, you eat on it for months, years. You, you, you take the blubber, you make lamps, you do a lot of like it's the, the whale <laughs> feeds the, uh-huh. the village for a long time, right? Yeah. Well, that sand egg investigation was, was a whale. Uh-huh. We, we caught the whale and we fed on that for a long time. And it there was- There did come a time where we had to confront that maybe we were- we were out of whale meat. 
Yeah. We were, we were just... In which case, we just started chewing on the <laughs> chew, old bones. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's not much left. <laughs> but the point is, is like that was one of the single most impactful investigative, uh, you know, pieces, pieces of journalism that have that has occurred in San Diego over the last 10 years that he at one moment had to decide whether it was gonna work or not whether he was whether he was right or not and he had to get stomach the the confidence and the the ability to like go ahead and step up on that and make the case and the whole sandag leadership was swept out the, there was new legislation that passed because of the impact of what his stories revealed and so just want to highlight like that's that's no small thing like you could you could be pretty proud for a life of investigative work for having done stuff like that and so I just want to say, um, you know, thanks for your service here. Your podcasting was eh, mediocre, yeah. but your investigative work was fantastic. Well, as long as we're we're blowing sunshine up each other's whatevers, uh, I'll say that uh, you know there was a time where I was. It was really me on one side of with the. I had some work that I could show and I could explain the way I had come to understand it. Um, but you were left balancing that against lots of people who had built up quite a reputation for themselves over the years and had uh, quite a bit of profile and who were saying I was wrong and they were right. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's no small thing that Voice of San Diego is the type of place who uh, respects that the people that they hire are, are doing the work and have done the work. And certainly you required me to walk you through it many, many, many times and to show you my work over and over. And we had lawyers and there was plenty of other stuff going on. But in the end, um, you said hit the, to hit the button and we published that story. And um, it's just easy to imagine a publication that doesn't do that. So. Mm-hmm. And a boss that doesn't do that. So thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's sweet seeing you guys say nice things to each other. Yeah. And then luckily Andrea came and I got to spend much less time with you and much more time (laughs) with her over the last year and a half. I remember the first time, well, I've read your stories, obviously, but the first time you interacted with me was on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I've spent more time than I care to admit there. (laughs) Weaning myself off. When you tweeted at me, I was like, oh my God. How cool. Was that the time that you got you, you, you got a parking ticket? Yeah, I got a parking ticket reversed? from the city of San Diego because I parked somewhere and then they painted the curb red after I was parked there. And you you uh, took a photo, I believe, of like- video. Red, I did a video. video. And the I, red paint that was on your, your tire. On my tire. <laughs> I took a picture of the tire and you said, the smoking gun. <laughs> and I was like, damn, that was a good tweet. I should have said that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was good. Well, we will uh, work hard to be that place as well and continue. There's a lot of voice alumni out doing some crazy good stuff in the world of media and beyond and uh, look forward to what you're doing. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. It's so hard to say goodbye All right, before we get on to the other stuff, this is a critical time for Voice San Diego. Our year-end fundraising campaign has begun, and we need your help. Uh, We are heading towards uh, a deficit by the end of this fiscal year, which is the end of this month, and we have set an ambitious goal of $300,000 to reach, and we have some major donors who are going to match part of that. Uh, Please, if you value this, value any of our uh, work, we would really appreciate some support, and you can do that. And make that contribution at VOSD.org slash pod people. That's VOSD.org slash pod people. And when you donate, of course, you can write a note to our whole staff. They they all see this. Uh, And if you mention the podcast, then uh, we might read it here. But otherwise, we have a few we want to highlight. Michael Livingston said, quote, you show up every day and fight the good fight. Competency plus accuracy. Exclamation point. Thank you, sir. Uh, Martha Stackland said, I trust VOSD to investigate and report the truth, which allows me to sleep at night. Thank you. Uh, David, a lot of people have that sort of sentinel view of us. Like they're just glad that we're kind of watching. That's nice. Uh, David Milroy, I believe in your mission, investigative journalism for a better San Diego. What we can't see can hurt us. And Susan uh, Tapert says, the voice of San Diego podcast, exclamation point, the production. Scott and Lopez are all terrific. Thank you. Thank you for omitting 
Andrew Keats from that. <laughs> uh, again, we have a big goal to reach by Probably the end of the mistake. month. Please, <laughs> please help us make it. Uh, VOSD.org slash pod people. If you do VOSD.org slash pod people, that shows uh, that it's from the pod and that will help us uh, make the case for this product as well. So every year or almost every year with uh, the pandemic, I think, accepted the there uh, a whole array of volunteers, elected officials and all kinds of people go out to try to count everybody who's homeless. Uh, and uh, it's a big production every year. It's called the Point in Time Census Count, and it's run by the Regional Task Force on Homelessness. And this last one they did in January, right? A day in January they picked and uh, the numbers have come back. And they are shocking. Uh, they, there is now, according to that count, 22% more people who are homeless in San Diego in the region uh, than were last year. And that includes, so they count both people who are homeless visibly in the streets and parks and such that where they find them. But they also count people who are uh, sheltered in temporary shelters. And the unsheltered homelessness rate uh, or number rose 26%. So a full quarter increase in just one year. The tally is the region's highest in the last 12 years. So our Lisa Halverstadt obviously had the numbers uh, right away, did a story. Uh, what stuck out for you um, as you edited that? Certainly just the, the the sheer size of the increase in one year. Now, there's a certain broad understanding and it's Included as a lengthy list of caveats every year when the point in time comes out, not just in our reporting, but every other's that that these numbers are best understood as a, a rough estimate, the best we have, but by everyone's estimation, incorrect, mostly likely, mm-hmm. um, usually considered on the low end, um, and that you know they it didn't happen two years ago. They happened again last year, um, and you know whatever whatever you. Th- Think about what may have happened between that that gap, um, but in any case, this gigantic jump seems to be closer, I guess, to what people's perceptions of homelessness are, which is that it's increasing a lot, mm-hmm. rather than you know previous years had sort of been bumping along. Yeah, so we have to do this census every year for federal funding issues and. Also, for our own, you know, uh, ability to make decisions on things, there was the federal government wants to have like numbers to compare across cities, so it can have a sense of where things are getting better or worse, and you know, comparative understanding of of what's happening in the country. Lisa Halverstadt pointed out in her story that there might be a little bit of noise because they they also counted people better who were on Caltrans or state property that they couldn't get to before. Uh, a couple of minor things like that that might have made a difference. But uh, I think what's really key is, again, yeah, that, that increase is significant and uh, uh, pretty troubling. All the different uh, populations they broke down, uh, military, veterans, all right, every yeah. every different aspect. I looked at, um, well, there's a couple of things. I mean, they break it down by those categories. But um, for chronically homeless people, which are described as individuals who have spent at least a year on the street, uh, those numbers more than tripled. And then for seniors, uh, that also spiked up to 46% increase. Uh, okay, say that again. 46% more seniors are homeless this year than last year's count. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 horrifying, right? I mean, there's is there any... Because I, I think when we think of the senior population, we're also talking about people who are you know, obviously ending or at the end of their ability to make a career successful. And so what are we, what, what's the outlook for folks in that situation? It's so uh, dark. Right. Yeah. And in that population, I mean, you're working with a uh, limited income, mm-hmm. obviously, because like you said, they typically don't work anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think to me, whenever you look at the point in time count, it's, there's a lot of things you can't say definitively with the numbers, but the things you can do are to compare them against San Diego's numbers over time and to compare them against other cities either over time or in in the current year. And if you can't do one of those two things, then like we should probably just stop having the count. Right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. if, if we're not comfortable saying that it's up or down right. against our own numbers in the in the past few years, 
then just stop doing it. It, it has no value at that point. So yeah. we're continuing to do it. So we're presuming that they do have some value regardless of however much noise is in there. And so let's just on face value in that case, a quarter increase. I mean, at a time when we're spending more than ever before, it's like it's a it's a blinking warning sign on the freeway that like the situation is not under control. Yeah. That things are not on on the way to getting better. That uh, however much effort and care and earnest, you know, uh, er, earnest desire to improve things that people in charge have displayed, it's not working right now. It's getting much worse. I think this was this is an interesting development, of course, with a story that we did kind of anticipating these numbers. Yeah. Our Will Hunsbury looked into the historical point in time count going back. Uh, 10 years or uh, 12 years, I guess he went back. And it's it's pretty interesting because what he found is that point in time count, the numbers now aren't much higher at all. They're about in line with what they were 12 years ago. Yeah. That this region has not seen a vast increase in the number of homelessness uh, or homeless individuals over that period of time. Yeah. Then it then we you know then we had then that that was and I think what's re- really interesting in that is that that does not mean something hasn't changed right something right, right, right. changed over that period and there's a lot more visible homeless there's a lot more deaths mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot more uh, just plain like interactions inc- yeah in, incidents mm-hmm. interactions and the the perception has obviously changed quite a bit since when we first started really covering this issue, which was about 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. And I remember when we did, it It was because there was like a growing realization and discussion in the community about uh, uh, about the, the you know, greater, incre- like the, the increase in uh, how recognizable it was and how uh, desperate it seemed. But I mean, it, it there really is, it, the numbers are shocking because they just, don't align with I think the narrative that either we were sort of aware of at the time or that any of local officials were aware of based on their own comments. Um, it's not like anyone is really getting debunked here because I think everybody during that period had been operating under the same impression. And I don't I don't recall anyone during that time like praising the prolonged decrease that was underway at one point. Yeah. Nor do I recall anybody sounding the alarm about the pronounced, the uh, or, or I don't recall anybody when we started discussing a pronounced increase saying, no, no, no. Actually, if you were to look at the point in time count numbers, you'd see that we're still below where we were ten years ago, right? And that was the part that was that was sh- surprising to me was there are people whose whose naked self interest would suggest that they would want to assert. Actually, your information is not supported by data. Yeah, you know, and but and I, those people weren't really out there. Yeah, you know. Uh, let's let's hold an example up here real quick. Here was Richard Bailey, uh, mayor of Coronado, was really trying to stake his his claim as like the guy who could figure this all out for us. Mm-hmm. And he's clearly, by the way, running for uh, county supervisor against. Tara Lawson Reamer, although he has not announced that. There's a I actually got a paid mailer from him the yeah, other day. He's spending money, yeah. Oh. Um so uh here he was making the case that he he said uh, uh about the, the the difference between California numbers and, and national numbers. Now from two thousand and twelve through two thousand and twenty two, the number of homeless nationwide actually fell from about six hundred and twenty thousand to five hundred and eighty thousand nationwide. No one knows that. No one knows that, right? Yeah. But here in the state of California over that same time period, the homeless population actually increased by 40%. That begs the question, why? Why are we seeing the homeless population fall nationwide, but increase so dramatically here in California? Answer that. I think it comes down to the policies of the individual states. What you notice there is that he uses California numbers. Yeah, he goes on to say the number downtown in San Diego has gone up 2,000. But think about all he's doing there, right? Yeah, he's he's very... I, I, I have to presume he has carefully selected a national comparison against the state and then skipped over to the downtown number. Because if you had chosen the San Diego County number at the time he made those statements, he would have said that homelessness had decreased 
in San Diego County during that time period yeah. as it had in the nation. Now, it might not have been at the same extent, but... It, because to be clear, that's the numbers he's using. He's using these point-in-time count numbers from across the country. From Yes, exactly. So it... It, and, you know, so I don't think it's coincidental that he that he chose California or um, I know there's another um, Twitter video I saw of him where he goes back before 2012 with the San Diego specific numbers um, and to, to say that they're up. Whereas the, if you had used as your starting point 2012, they would have actually been down. Um, and I think that that's, I think I, I think it's probably fair to conclude that that's all intentional and that he saw this he pulled up the numbers and saw the same thing we did which mm-hmm. what, or I should say that will Hunsbury did which frankly when I first saw him I didn't believe it it was so far outside of the impression that we had had and the conversation we had all had not even not not even just voice of San Diego or this show or you and I talking or me and Andrea talking to reporters but the conversation that the whole city had had over multiple elections, during multiple different policy disputes, there had, I think, safe to say, been uh, an understanding that what Richard Bailey was saying there was right, that here here as well as in California, homelessness had been up. Um, it just happens to be the case that up until this most recent data release yesterday, that wasn't true. Yeah, so what we did see, and that's why he jumped to the downtown, is that downtown did spike. Yes, now downtown spiked a lot. And that is, again, I think, consistent with... Im- anybody's immediate impression right mm-hmm. and like what will and i wrote about a couple of weeks ago and the amount of interactions that just like your everyday starbucks barista or grocery store person was having in downtown yeah, yeah. And, and so i think what we all have to grapple with is what really happened and what really made that shift happen i've speculated in the past that the sort of advent or uh, incorporation of the tent, the personal tent. Proliferation. Yeah, the proliferation of the personal camping tent changed these communities, made them more present, made them more stable, as in like that they just weren't moving, they were more visible, and obviously they created their own dynamics, good and bad for the people involved in them. And that that is part of what has made it more present and thus more. And they, they allowed them to collect more stuff. That stuff became itself more present. Uh, uh, the mayor's office has talked a lot about the hoarding phenomenon going on, right? And so there's that. And and then I think there's just this, there's uh, the the deaths that we need to talk about. The, the number of people dying in these situations across the, the city and across the region has so amplified the the crisis that's at play and i think it was highlighted six years ago when hepatitis a started really spreading we were all kind of just marinating in this problem for a long time until that happened and the deaths really spiked when people said like okay this has crossed the line and that line has been now crossed multiple laps uh but the sheer numbers didn't just shifted in a in a fascinating historical way, and I think a way that we're going to have to keep reporting on to understand better. Yeah, and so I'm glad that Will took the time to say, "Let's look what has happened here over the ten years, actually, based on these numbers that we all rely on, that the federal government use, you know, bases funding on, etc." Let's look what actually what happened here, and then we're able to a few days later come back and say, "And the newest data says that." We've something has shaken us out of that long-term trend. Mm-hmm. Some that that ten-year period that we were looking at, that ten-year period that we're looking back on, we do appear to be on the on on the the upswing of something different now. Which is even scary. So if it could get as bad as it got without the numbers going up, right, yeah. naturally. And yeah. now they're they're spiking. Yeah, and so that transitions now to the conversation about what might happen. Obviously, the mayor's office knew that this was coming and over the last two weeks has been dramatically dialing up his sort of sense of or effort to communicate how upset and and urgent he sees the problem because he's been driving support, having press conferences and, and more about, yeah, about the need to pass his law, this new ordinance that would ban encampments let's see can you explain exactly where so let's see if i get it right ban encampments at all times in the city when there's shelter available on all public land on all public land but then it would regardless of shelter availability it would ban encampments at all times two blocks from a school and shelter and at parks and transit hubs 
So he wants to combine that and obviously roll out some safe uh, sleeping sites, some other new shelter plans that he has. Uh, I think he listened to the criticism that people had that he was rolling out the band part, but not the the shelter part. The, it's got to go hand in hand. Um, and he's trying to roll that out at the same point. But he's basically saying, like, we're going to disrupt you from these areas and you need to go stay in these areas if you're if you're not. Now, Lisa Halverstadt did some some reporting also this week. She's been doing a lot uh, about how the homeless encampments have spiked downtown. That was, in a way, sort of engineered by decades of the city's own planning, which was to put so many providers and service providers in the East Village in particular. And now... The new ban would say you can't camp within two blocks of a shelter, which means that ostensibly they're going to try to push all of these encampments out of the East Village, which I think for for some neighbors in Barrio Logan and other places is starting to cause some alarm. Yeah, because, uh, well, we have a map on our website that you can check out, VOSD.org. Um, Lisa and Nate John, our producer here in the podcast studio, work together. And just by looking at it, you can see we've highlighted the areas where this ban would uh, prevent people from camping. But you can just see kind of where that shift would happen. And that is Barrio Logan, Logan Heights, um, Golden Hill, and even like some areas of where there's more businesses in East Village, it, it, those areas would be allowed. And so it's easy to conclude that if you're a homeless individual who's accessing services and you're sleeping close to your shelter or close to an area where you access services, you're going to want to stay close-ish so you can still make your way uh, towards those areas. Yeah, I, I, that's assuming any of this happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah I think <laughs> well, that's, that's the big, assuming that that's the big caveat happens. on all of this, right? Is is that it happens? I mean. I just edited a new story from Lisa. It'll be we have up. it up. Yeah, okay. I was going to say it'll be up by the time people hear it, but it's up already. Where, you know, she talks about the promise at the start of this year. I believe it was in a State of the City address where Mayor Gloria said, a new rule, there will be no more tents set up on sidewalks downtown. Or I think maybe he just said no, no tents set up on sidewalks, period. Yeah. And During um, the day. During the day. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that just didn't happen. You know, there, yeah. mi- there might have been a couple weeks where that was sort of this new initiative was was enforced for some amount of time. But within a few weeks, certainly within a month, there was no indication spending any amount of time anywhere in the city that it was not allowed to have tents up on sidewalks during the day. That was they were up all over the place. And so uh, let's just reiterate you, can, you, you can say a rule, you can give a directive that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be enforced or in implemented to the full extent yeah, let's let's say this directly. They said mm-hmm. you were not allowed to have tents up during the day. Yeah, they had obviously decided that that was the law. Yeah, and that they were just going to enforce that. Yeah, and it didn't happen at yeah. all. Anybody who walks around knows that it didn't happen. Yeah, and so the question, the very easy question to ask now is: Okay, so. A, what do you need the new law for if that was already possible? And then B, uh, what what is going to change about enforcement that makes it something you can clean up? Now, they are pointing that they're going to use different cops now somehow to to patrol these areas, not just community outreach, but also but patrol officers. Patrol officers. Yeah. So to- the department's neighborhood policing division typically leads the enforcement of like homeless-related stuff. Um, but the way that that division works is they go from like area to area. So let's say I've been to one community meeting where an officer described this. They're in City Heights. They crack down on a big encampment, but then they go to Ocean Beach. And in the time that they're in Ocean Beach, the encampment comes back. Yeah. Um, so Lisa reported an officer told her that they're going to start using patrol officers to follow up on areas that have been cleared so that they don't come back up again. But again, the department's dealing with some of what we've already reported, uh, staffing and all these other issues. And so. also like crimes that yeah. they should respond to. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and like the whatever staffing problems they have have not been solved in the last two weeks. No. So if if the answer for the lack of follow up on these sorts of clean out efforts has been a lack of manpower, the manpower part of that equation hasn't changed. And you know, the, the like number of stops have been cut in half. Well the number the manpower has not been cut in half. Right. So it's like none of this is to say that this won't happen, but 
But it is to say that I think we at least need to allow for the possibility that uh, that it'll bear watching how this enforce the, this ordinance uh, plays out after it's approved, if it's approved. Well, and whether they they are able to provide easily accessible, safer spaces for people to if, go. Yeah, if they aren't, then there's going to be it's it's essentially a different ordinance than the one we're discussing. If yeah. if, mm-hmm. if on a regular basis there isn't shelter available, then some places will essentially... Uh, parks or yeah. near schools. My guess right. is that they'll engineer it so there's always space available, right? Like some uh, you know, negligible amount of space. That's, that they just maybe even hold open, right? I mean, well, well if, that's the ca- if that's the case, I would say that that would be the subject of journalism yeah, <laughs> if that was right. like a, a, a standard in practice. But. I guess... I, I guess um, <laughs> Look into that while I'm gone. <laughs> I think that what... What is obviously happening here is that yeah. the concern about homelessness has reached a point where the mayor and and others are just like, well, we 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 cannot continue talking about this in small yeah. chunks of of things we are doing. We are this is our overall approach is that it's intolerable and we are going to not tolerate it anymore. We are going to uh, enforce uh, a complete change in how this is dealt with. And and we're going to um, uh, we need this law to sort of capstone that symbolism. Yeah. And and literally it will help create new symbols, new signs that'll that'll be able to to communicate that they're they have reached a point of intolerance of this. Now I, I think that that is okay, and that makes sense that he's trying to match the rhetoric with the with the the anger on the streets. It's just a question of will that fundamentally change anything about people's quality of life here and the safety of the people who are on the streets? Yeah, that's, I, I think what is different about the situation with homelessness right now is that the, the political pressure that is being put on, on the mayor and the rest of the city council and everybody else in elected leadership in this region um, is an acute feeling among residents that this is bad and getting worse. Right. It's not um, some like idea that they've been convinced of by nefarious political actors like, you know, without putting like that. I think you could arguably say is the case about, say, the pension crisis. Like, I think most people who lived here Mm -hmm. didn't actually feel the effects of the uh, of the city's budget woes in a in a real sense. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm getting over I mean, my skis in there. Indirect way, like the parks, parks weren't, weren't, open weren't open or that. But yeah. but like they were convinced to vote for pension reform despite their daily life probably being right. unaffected by the existence or non existence of pensions for white collar workers at the city of San Diego. Right. right. This isn't like that. Like the the policy that you sell as the antidote to the problem that people are telling you you need to solve actually needs to solve it right it's not you can't like just have a new symbol and then run for re-election on that symbol unless it works well and also it seems clear to me that uh the mayor has gone now almost fully if not more to the right of kevin faulkner He's changed his rhetoric, but in the the last like week and a half, pushing this ordinance, I'd yeah, say he's he's changed his rhetoric. He's he's fully embraced the idea that much of the homeless crisis is from people who have uh, moved here to to, and that they need to be discouraged. It's not just a matter of providing shelter. Uh, that other cities aren't doing their part, um, and that there needs to be a very harsh, uh, uh, but but side compassion approach to yeah it's it's like you can't say no yeah it's like we've we have built up a large compassionate net yeah and you don't get to say no to the to that offer anymore and uh and then the second thing is i i think this is one of the only major pieces of sort of city law that's going to go forward where i'm not sure how the city council is going to vote yeah, like it, usually they don't put something forward without the stuff lined up, and I'm sure they have it lined up. I don't know that they would go forward if they didn't, but I'm not sure actually. Yeah. Like that's what delays are for, typically. Right, you just come up with some reason that you can't have the vote. So I would assume that he's figured out the politics enough that he's they're willing to go forward. 
But I will be very interested to see what the city council discussion is on, what day is it, Tuesday? Tuesday. Uh, when they decide whether to ban encampments uh, uh, as they've described before. So uh, I don't know how it's going to go forward or who goes where. Like, where does uh, Council President Shawnee Lowe Rivera go? He put this, he's obviously facilitated that it go forward to this point, but none of them are on the record yet that they that they are supporting it. Mm-hmm. No, well, except for Stephen Whitburn. Right, of course, he's, yeah. the, he's the sponsor. Well, and Kent Lee had a lot of questions right. about yeah. the ordinance when it went through committee. Which, you know, as much as that upset the mayor's office, he didn't actually say, I'm not going to support no. this. No. Right. And I would bet that a lot of them will come along just because they don't, they're not going to give him a loss at this point. But we'll see how that conversation goes. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Join culture creator Remel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Okay. Story time. Yeah. Oh boy. So in the old days, there were pe- people that needed water, right? Yes. And so they would get together with other people who needed water and they would pool their money together and they would buy water or create canals or something or wells or whatever to get the water, right? Mm-hmm. Those are called water districts. And those water districts over time united to create uh, bigger entities. So the biggest of all of the entities in pretty much all of the world. There's no agency uh, that gets water that's more powerful than the Metropolitan Water District in LA. It is just a gigantic agency. If you take the uh, Surfliner up to LA, if that ever works again, <laughs> and you get out at Union Station, it's right there. It's a big tower, and yeah. it's a it's a beautiful just. It's a, it's a very, very powerful agency that nobody knows anything about. But they're the ones that uh, they secure the water from both the Colorado River and from the Sacramento uh, Delta, right? So there's vast uh, streams and delta that comes from the runoff of the Sierra Nevada mountains, right? So those two the canals that bring that water to Southern California, those are controlled by the Metropolitan Water District. And the Metropolitan Water District, one of its member entities is the San Diego County Water Authority. And the San Diego County Water Authority has a bunch of water districts underneath it, including the city of San Diego, which is its most powerful one, right? Got it all? Yep. So um, over the last few decades, the San Diego County Water Authority and the Metropolitan Water District have had something of a war. In the 90s, the Metropolitan Water District, uh, dealing with a drought, uh, threatened San Diego that they were going to cut uh, or cap water supplies because of how bad the drought was, and and they they were it was going to be a pretty harsh cut, and San Diego County at that point just freaked out. They're like, ah, don't do that. We need water, right? Now uh, at that point, it triggered what has now been like thirty years of investment in water. The County Water Authority, San Diego, decided. We will never again be in that vulnerable of a position. We're going to do everything we can to get water from other sources so that the Metropolitan Water District cannot hold our economy, our lifestyle in its palm of its hand like that so well. Turn off the faucet, as it were. And so um, since then, we've done desalination in Carlsbad, the vast investment in taking seawater and, and making, what, 50 million gallons of water a day. We, the city of San Diego is investing in similar technology to take 
uh, sewage and turn it into water that can be pumped into potable uh, storage and 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 uh, reservoirs. Mm-hmm. And um, and and then there's been improvements to dams. And the big one, 20 years ago, we uh, got the Imperial Irrigation District in Imperial County to cap the amount of water it gets from the California or the Colorado River and give us the rest. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, there was a, a, a there's a big canal you can see when you drive on the 8 uh, through the desert. There's a big canal called the All-American Canal that used to be a dirt canal and all the water would go out of it, right? And would seep into Mexico and other places. In fact, Mexican farmers used that water to grow things for a long time. Mm-hmm. We, as part of this deal, we lined that canal with uh, concrete so that the water wouldn't seep through and that saved a bunch of water and we got that water too. Mm-hmm. So all of that water and all of that investment cost a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have gradually raised rates here so much that um, we now have the highest water rates anywhere. And it's going to continue to go up as we pay all these things off. This is the price of independence, basically. So like, 30 years ago, region, you know, the regional leaders here said, if we want to be in control of our own destiny, we need to spend money to do it. And that was very expensive. Yeah. So to do that, they borrow a bunch of money and they they spend the money. Now, spending the money also has the benefit of a lot of businesses getting that money and a lot of unions and other places getting that. It's a great and a lot of jobs and lots of things happen when you build things like that. Right? A lot of lobbyists need to be employed to grease the wheels on those things. Lots of uh, public communications campaigns need to have lobbyists and consultants brought in to prepare mailers and to, to uh, attend functions. Yeah. So many functions. The number of functions that, of functions that have been able to be attended on the basis of all this. Lots Did we of get functions. renderings out of this or not? Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, number we love rendering. that. And PowerPoint presentations huh. galore. And so what it has left with, uh-huh. well, left us with is a tremendous, uh, again, higher water rates. Now, yeah. that's the whole point, though, is like, and it's left us with lots of water. We actually have more water than we need right now as an as a as an, uh, a civilization in southern california which is odd because there's a lot of drought and stuff and so when when there were cuts back cutbacks everybody in san diego is like Living oh, life. we're kind of good on uh, our diverse support uh, supply of water <laughs> as so, you water your yeah. lawn yeah. whenever the, your dishwasher whenever the the cutbacks make national news yeah i always seem to be in either ohio or maryland yeah and people can't wait to ask me about like so can so you not take showers? Do you not do, pee like, anymore? Like, is your yeah. lawn brown now? Yeah. Uh, and the idea of being able to explain all of this in a way that yeah. anybody would do anything other than just turn and walk away and feel very sorry for having brought it up right. is hard to imagine. But <laughs> Now just give him a link to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> right. But that has come at a cost. And one of the people or one of the groups of people that are pretty upset about this are farmers in, in particular North County. Now... They were never quite, uh, it was never quite assumed that there would be this many farmers building or growing avocados and stuff like that in this way at that part. But they were they were getting cheaper sources of water for a long time to have viable avocado farms and stuff like that. As the cost of water from San Diego County Water Authority has gone up, they want out. They have for the last, what, six years? Mm-hmm been a while been yeah. pushing so this is the rainbow and and fallbrook uh, water districts have been pushing to leave the county water authority and these high rates and instead join uh the eastern water district which is another agency that's part of the metropolitan water district and so uh, it used to be the metropolitan water district was like ha san diego like pointing and laughing at them and you know because they hated san diego and it was and vice versa right and so this is one of the one of the the real really great parts of local public affairs is people will often deny that they're in a feud. They have yeah. they have selfish reasons that it's not to their benefit right. to acknowledge any feud that's going on, even when it's very obvious. I could think of a few examples in my head. Maybe some listeners here have some their own ideas of feuds that are very clearly underway that neither participant will acknowledge. Not so with the Met and San Diego County Water Authority. Right. There's no pretenses that these organizations like each other or get along. Well, it's starting to evolve a little bit, and that yeah. came out this week. Yeah. So the two agencies who want to leave have to make their case to LAFCO, and we've talked about LAFCO before. It's, it's, a, 
It's not the most well-known of local government agencies. If you know what LAFCO is, you probably are a devout listener of the Voice San Diego podcast. <laughs> the local agency formation, what, commission? commission? Commission. Yeah. So this is the entity that decides boundaries, like where water districts end and begin, where cities end and begin. If you're trying to annex land as part of a city, you go through LAFCO. And La Jolla, that wants to separate from San Diego, the city of San Diego, they have to make their case to LAFCO. Yeah. Often it's not it's not typically as contentious as the La Jolla or Rainbow right. situations. Usually it's just a matter of this is why you get on official lines. You yeah. get on LAFCO for this moment. For the possibility. This is this is yeah. this is the this is the moment. This is the gift for. horse coming down the LAFCO train. Is this I opportunity? I can't believe I'm leaving this nort nerd organization right at the moment that LAFCO has some real action. <laughs> Lasco, <laughs> it's Lafco's time in the sun. That like, I, I, the, I, like I feel like a like a tired old detective who's just like <laughs> doesn't have another case in One him. One more homicide. Just like, <laughs> like sees sees the the, the chalkboard and like realizes that maybe he's got to stay. Yeah, well, <laughs> got to see got to see out this Lafco drama. <laughs> well, McKenzie, Ar- Is this really the time to walk away? Our Mackenzie Elmer's right there. She's. The, <laughs> Are you changing your mind on the podcast? I wonder if I can sell Axios on some LAFCO content, like right out of the gate. (laughs) Guys, guys, our first I'm really eager to be here. I do have some ideas. (laughs) Well, our Mackenzie Elmer has the beat now. Sorry. Yeah. No, Uh, it's hard. I just would love to be, I just want to be part of the team. So this. This week was supposed to be the payoff, and and that's why we're still talking about it, because it didn't happen. This week was supposed to be the vote of the LAFCO board, where they decided whether these two water agencies could leave or not. And uh, look, you might say, like, what do I care about this? And there's only really one reason. To which I say, don't. get out of here. <laughs> D- delete the show. Unfollow. No, Find someone else. A lot of other people talking about traffic backups. Just whatever. All the money we have to pay off for all those investments has to be paid off by somebody. And if LAFCO allows these two agencies to leave, then the remaining agencies will have to take that burden. Mm -hmm. And that means you, listeners, already paying the higher rates of water, will have to pay slightly higher rates of water if this happens. And the debt service on all of these projects was calculated with the assumption that all of these these farmers would be part of the payment pool. Right. And it also matters because the other districts that might not be cool with these investments mm-hmm. might also take a cue and say like, hey, we should go to Eastern Water District and get some um, cheaper water from them too. Floodgates are open. And so a uh, lot of sort of big issues within that. LAFCO met on, was it Monday? And they were going to make a decision and they didn't. They delayed at the last minute because guess who showed up? Adan Ortega Jr. is the chair of the Metropolitan Water District. And he got his seat as chair of the Metropolitan Water District in part based on support from the representatives on that board from San Diego. And so he's his is the first sign, I think, of this long-term effort San Diego's making to change this dynamic of San Diego and, and LA being at war and maybe San Diego winning over a little bit more of the leadership of this water district. And he came down, the previous uh, executive director of this agency had said like, this isn't any of our business. Like you're both within our area, so you can do whatever you want. Like of switching. Met. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause the rainbow fallbrook change would be from one agency within Met to another agency within Met. Doesn't. Right. Who cares? Yeah. And so, but this guy showed up at, or he sent a letter to the LAFCO and said, like, hey, don't let this go forward. We're, we need to study whether it has implications for our voting system mm-hmm. because it would add a little bit of voting power to Eastern Water District and take a little bit away from San Diego County. And so we need to review this. Just occurred to them Just the last occurred minute. at the last minute. Like I think obviously in. what's going on here, because this is combined with the news that Tasha Berner Horvath, one of the state assembly members, s- sent a bill to the uh, state legislature. She wiped out another bill and filled the language. It's called oh, gut the, and old gut and the old gut amend. The old gut and amend. She Ooh. took... Another one. Tuxio's probably going to love some gut and amend content. <laughs> she she gutted and amended a existing piece of legislation to require 
that if you do are a water district leaving a, another water district or water authority, then you need to get a vote of the entire region to let that happen. A people. People need to vote to let that happen. And this seems like the two things that are happening here, this guy from L.A. and this, seem like both of them are results of San Diego County or the city of San Diego saying, don't let these farmers leave. Mm -hmm. And we'll see if it works. That's it. That's the whole story. This is well said. It was a well-explained story. It's a lot of drama. I'm really happy that on my last day I got to get a real classic Scott, Scott Lewis, here's how it works lecture. No chalkboard. Um, there was no chalkboard involved. No whiteboard. But you know, some real. I mean, that's the stuff that that's that's what gets him up in the morning. Being yeah. able to explain something to somebody. Yeah, from the so right that's all side he has. of his bed. Yeah, he goes through so much at this organization to get the right to do that. Yeah, if he's lucky, once or twice a week. Yeah, <laughs> he used to be a water guy. I know. I'm, I mean, I don't mean that one, but I mean like. If, for somebody to come into his office and say, like, how does some blank work? It's like it's, I, I've his, learned his how day re- has been worth it up until I've then. I've learned how to, to react that. to that. Like, I, I'm very calm You have to I'm like, be very cool like, about Maybe it. in a minute. <laughs> just, just, no way. Like a, like a pickup artist? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, that, I guess I could do that. that? Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I totally forgot. I'm, yeah. It's not something I really want to do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Andrew Keats, um, I uh, been an honor and pleasure to have you on the show, and we'll have you back, of course, when uh, when you've got something to say about yeah. Lafco, all the Lafco stuff you write about. I don't, you guys got the premier Lafco reporter in town right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need you anymore. I'm, I'm chasing. I'm, ch- I'm chasing your all's Lafco work. On behalf of all of the uh, the, the voice heads out there, thanks for everything you've done and. Um, uh, we will wish you well. I will say that uh, the the listeners of this show have, by leaps and bounds, been uh, my most consistently positive experience working here. People stop me on the street all the time, talk about the show, and uh, every time I appreciate it. So, thanks. Thanks for listening to the Voice San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in San Diego that will be featuring a special interview with me uh, interviewing Mayor Todd Gloria about the homelessness crisis. Uh, check for that in your feed soon. Big thanks to all who have given so far in our fundraising campaign. You can give that uh, contribution now at vosd.org slash pod people. That's vosd.org slash pod people. Help us reach our goal of $300,000. Again, that's vosd.org slash podpeople. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is managing editor for One More Day. And Andrea Lopez Villafania is also managing editor. Nate John's our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.